We are in a series called I Am, and today we're going to put the exclamation point on it. We're going to talk about I am who God says I am. I am an overcomer. Now, to review where we've been these last five to six weeks, we started off by saying, by, by saying you know what, it's time for the church to step up and be at the table with government, with businesses, etc., on this issue of mental health. And the things that have happened this week with some high-profile people, I think, highlight the importance of this matter. We as the church, I believe, need to lead. I believe we need to start the discussions. I believe we need to equip and educate people about mental health. I believe we as a church need to stand up with those who struggle with mental health issues. To have a mental health issue is no different than having cancer, okay? There shouldn't be any shame, and yet a lot of times there is. From there, we talked about I am who God says I am, and I am made up of five factors, and we dealt, the, and these are the cards that we've been dealt with. We've, we've been given chemistry, we've been given connections, we've been given circumstances, we've been given a conscience, and we've been given choices. Those five things make you, you, and God is involved in all of it. From there, we took a look at I am who God says I am, I am significant, and yet a lot of times we don't see that we really matter to God, and that is because our windshield that we look out through at life has cracks in it. And we talked about shame and uncontrolled thoughts and compulsions and fear and hopelessness and bitterness and insecurity. Then we moved into our confidence. I am who God says I am. I am confident. And we discovered that confidence doesn't come from externals, but rather it comes from internals. And we looked at the Apostle Paul and his journey out of Galatians 2, his searching, his suffering, his meeting, his morphing, his freeing, and the feeling of confidence that you have when you place your trust in Christ on the inside and not on the externals of life. And then the last message before I headed out for Cameroon was, I am useful. And we took a look at how we can purify our hearts that dealt with our conscience and how we can sanctify our bodies, which deals with our, our, our chemistry. And then we talked about how we can simplify our, 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 our schedules or our calendars through our, our choices. And then we took a look at fortifying our faith through our connections, our relationship with God, connections, and our relationship with other people. And then we talked about intensifying our passion for Christ as, uh, through the circumstances of life that come our way. When we shine the brightest is when life is the darkest. And, we, and that dealt with our circumstances. Today, we're going to do something different. We're ending on I am an overcomer. I want us, by the time we finish this message, to understand that you are an overcomer. I don't care what your chemistry may be. You may struggle and be, so to speak, mentally broken. Folks, we're all broken some way. 
maybe with depression, maybe with anorexia, maybe with bipolar, maybe physical, you are still an overcomer. Or your, 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 your mental struggle might be with your connections, your family origins, or a divorce that you went through. You are an overcomer. Or it might be with your circumstances. Maybe life has thrown you a curveball and you've been hit and it hurts. You are an overcomer. Or you might have conscience problems. Man, that mistake I made, I know God's forgiven me, but there's something inside of you that just can't let it go. God says, my grace is sufficient. You are an overcomer. Or it may be some choice that you're facing right now. You're at, the, you're at a fork in the road and you gotta decide, am I gonna go this way or am I gonna go this way? God clearly states in his word that he's given you what's necessary to have wisdom and understanding so that you too can be an overcomer. Now, if we were to make a list of the battles that we as Americans are familiar with, we could come up with battles in the Revolutionary War. We could come up with some battles that that have occurred in the Civil War, the Battle of Anhinam, the Battle of Gettysburg. We could come up with some battles of World War I and World War II, the Battle of the Bulge, which some of us are still fighting right now. I can tell that, right? Hey, that was good. The Bible even talks about a final battle, the Battle of Armageddon. But this weekend, I want us to take a look at a battle that we all face. And it's not the battles that are occurring around you in the way of our culture. And it's not the battle or the war on terrorism. I want you to consider the battles that lie within you mentally, the mental battles that you face. You see, the fact of life is that we are in a battle. And anything worthwhile that you want for your life, guess what? You're gonna have to fight for it. If you want good health, you're going to have to fight for it. If you want a great marriage, you're going to have to fight for it. If you want your kids to succeed, guess what? You're going to have to fight for it. The Bible mentions that there is a battle for good and for evil. I think we're all aware of that. Most of us, though, may not be aware that there is another battle, the battle between what is okay and what's best. Not everything that you and I do is necessarily bad or sinful. Sometimes we choose okay, but the okay can be an enemy to the best. There is a battle between hope and despair. We are in the year of hope. Hope is when you and I stop listening to our feelings and we start listening to the word of God. And that's what we've been doing in this series. What has God said about who we really are? There is a battle between hope and despair, between faith and fear, between balance and unbalance, between stress and peace of mind. These are the personal battles that oftentimes wage war within us. The Bible describes us in basically two terms if you go through the Bible. One is in terms of an athlete. It's the number one way that God describes a Christian as an athlete. But the second way is as a soldier. And the Bible is chock full of war terms. Fighting, conquering, strive, battle, war, overcome, victory. In fact, there is a whole book in the Bible about war. It's called the book of Joshua. So my question to you and I as we end this series is this. 
what are you fighting for? What is your attitude when it comes to your personal battles? I don't care whether it's dealing with your chemistry, your connections, your circumstances, your conscience, or or your choices in life. What's your attitude when it comes to your battles? I hope it's to win. I hope your attitude is, I am an overcomer. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 9, lays out the attitude. He says, I fight to win. I'm not just shadow boxing. Truly, as we end this series, folks, I want you and I to be winners. I want us to be able to stand on the last song and say, I am an overcomer. But in order to do that, you gotta understand what kind of battle you're in. And that battle is not an external battle. It is an internal battle. Paul describes this in Ephesians 6, verse 12. We're not fighting against human beings. We are fighting against spiritual forces and powers of darkness in the unseen spiritual world. He says there is an unseen universe out there, that there are unseen powers that are at work. That's what we're fighting for. In fact, circle the phrase, powers of darkness. And will you write this down? If you are not fighting the powers of darkness, you are giving in to them. Now, what Paul is talking about here is not Star Wars theology, but there is a dark side to the universe, and that dark side is without, no doubt about it, there are principalities, okay, and powers that are unseen, but the darkest side, I believe, is internal, You are a mixture of light and dark, of good intentions and of bad intentions. And what is this war about? Will you write this down? It it is a war between your old mindset and your new mindset. Your old mindset is your old nature. It's what comes easy. It's what's convenient for you. Your new mindset is your new nature, which wants to do what God wants, his will, his purposes for your life. The Bible describes this war. In Romans chapter seven, where Paul says this, I wanna do God's will as far as my new nature is concerned, but there's something else deep within me that's dark. My old nature is at war with my mind and wins the fight. It makes me a slave to the sin that's still within me. Again, understand that this war is not external. It is not with a person, but rather it's on the inside. And today what I wanna do as we conclude this series is I wanna take a look at three very common internal battles that happen in the darkness of our souls. And then take a look at three tools that God has given us to win. The first battle is this. It is a battle between selfishness and unselfishness. It is a battle between love and selfishness. This is a daily conflict. Am I going to live for me or am I going to live for God and for other people? Now here's the good news about this battle. Every time you win this battle, 
and you choose love over selfishness, life gets easier. You get a greater peace. You get greater peace of mind. You have less conflict in your life. On the other hand, every time you choose selfishness, it creates conflict in your world. James chapter four says this, do you know where your fights and arguments come from? They come from the selfish desires that make war inside you. Then when you don't get what you want, you quarrel and fight. Do you know the conflicts that you have with other people don't come from other people? They come from you. They, they come from you because if you had a more humble heart, their quirks, their idiosyncrasies, their, their flops, failures, and fums, those sins against you, they wouldn't stick. They wouldn't bother you that much because of the humility that's in your heart. But if you're more self-centered and life is about you, it, they're gonna irritate you to no end because guess what? They're not going with your plan. They're not going with your agenda. They're not going with your program. That is why the Bible says this. Take a look at Philippians 2. Don't be selfish. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and what they are doing. You see, humility truly is at the root, the foundation of conflicts, whether they're harmonious or whether they're hurtful. Now, a lot of people don't understand what hu true humility is. Some people think that means that you're just no good, that you are worthless. That is not humility. You are not worthless. You are extremely valuable. And the cross shows that. And yet, at the very same time, you and I are deeply flawed. And those are not at contradictions of one another. Both of those are true. We are extremely valuable, and yet at the same time, we are deeply flawed. And so humility isn't thinking that you are worthless. No, humility is thinking of others. Humility doesn't mean thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. Do you get the difference? Humility doesn't mean that you think less of yourself. I'm no good, I'm scum, I'm trash. No, it just means that you think less of yourself. How that works out is when you go to a party, you come to church, instead of you thinking, oh, I wonder how I look to everybody, I hope I'm cool, you know, <laughs> look at, I make this outfit, right, okay? Versus going into a party or a church, instead of saying, hey, what am I gonna get? What can I give? Whose needs are here right now? that I can meet. Folks, that is humility. Now let me give you another battle that goes on in the darkness of our soul, and that is the battle between forgiveness and bitterness. You're gonna face this battle again and again and again and again because we live in a broken world. And because we do, we get hurt. Sometimes, and I believe most of the time, unintentionally but sometimes intentionally, whether it is un unintentional or intentional, when you get hurt, guess what? It hurts. And God has called us to weep with those who are weeping from their hurts. But we live in a broken world, and so we get hurt. You and I can't always control what we get hurt by, but you and I can control 
our response. You have 100% choice over that. What you do with your hurt is totally within your control. You can either hold on to it or you can let it go. Some of us here are still allowing people to hurt us from our past. Maybe 20 years ago. I say this, that's stupid. Why are you allowing someone 20 years ago who's totally forgotten about you to hurt you in the present? So will you write this down? You can't control the hurt you have, but you can control how long you hurt. Does that make sense? You and I can't control the hurts that come our way. Sometimes life throws a curveball and it just hits us, intentionally or unintentionally, it hits us, but we can't control how long we hurt. This is the battle between forgiveness and bitterness. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15. Watch out that no bitterness takes root among you, for as it springs up, it causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. Well, you circle the phrase, deep troubles. When you get hurt, that's one thing. When you get bitter, that's another thing. You see, the root of this deep trouble is this. It's anger. Anger is the root of deep trouble. Paul said in Ephesians 4, 26, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, anger Holding on to anger is what creates deep trouble in our life. It, it, it causes resentment and then bitterness, and that evolves into hate, and sometimes it'll evolve into murder. Now, not all anger is necessarily sin. I mean, if I hit, or I, I should say this, anger is sometimes the most appropriate response to a situation. Well, we moved into kind of a new house. And, well, it is a new house. I don't want to say kind of new. It's a new house, okay? And if there's anything that creates argument and stress in Cheryl and our lives, it's where to hang the pictures. I'm taller and I like them up higher, and she's lower and she likes them down lower. And so we always have to bring in an interior design person. But nevertheless, I'm putting up pictures, right? And I take the hammer and, and I hit my thumb. What do you think my response was? Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. You know, are you kidding me? That wasn't my response. My response was that of anger. Rassafress and Nassafress. I don't know why I'm hanging these pictures right now. Anyway, it's too, it's too low, you know. Anger is a response to one of three things that's going on in your life. Fear, frustration, or pain. My anger came because I hurt my thumb. If you want to resolve anger that's in your life, you got to take a look at one of those three things. Fear, frustration, or pain. Anger isn't necessarily a wrong response. God gets angry a lot of times. God gets angry when he sees injustice in the world. When you see injustice in the world, it ought to make you angry as well. You see, what turns anger into sin is holding on to it. And Paul says, 
Don't let the sun go down on your anger, i.e. deal with it quickly. Because if you don't and you hold on to that, it's going to create deep trouble in you physically and mentally. It will start eating away at your thought life. If you don't let it go quickly, it will, it, will, it will start to affect connections because the root of bitterness never stays within that person. It starts to spread like cancer to other relationships. If you choose to hold on to that, 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 that anger and it turns into bitterness, it will begin to affect your circumstances in life. Have you ever gotten mad and expressed it the wrong way and then something else worse happened? I know I did, got mad, and then as soon as I hit the, hit the, the rake, and the rake fell over and hit this, and all the, the whole shelf came down, all because I didn't control my anger. If you and I allow deep t- trouble through bitterness, it will affect our conscience. We'll have a cloudy conscience like that windshield. We won't be able to see life clearly, as well as with our choices. And so God says you've got to deal with this issue of forgiveness versus bitterness. Now let me say this to those of us who are married. If you want a great marriage, and like I said, you're gonna have to fight for it. What that means is that you're gonna have to be great forgivers. So will you write this down? Great marriages are the union of great forgivers. Take a look at Matthew 7. You will be judged in the same way that you judge others. And the forgiveness that you give to others will be given to you. Do you want God to forgive you? Then you need to forgive others. Do you want God to cut you some slack when you have some flops, failures in your your life? Sure you do. Then you're going to have to cut other people some slack. Now, while I was on the plane, I was up for 45 hours. Coming back from Cameroon, I thought of this verse. You see, God is not a low bowler. God is always raising the bar. If you take a look at the Beatitudes, hey, if you look at a woman uh, with lust, guess what? It's like you've committed adultery. God is always raising the bar. And God doesn't want you just to be an overcomer. That's minimum. He wants you to be more than an overcomer. Take a look at Romans chapter 8, verse 37. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What does it mean to be more than a conqueror? It means more than defeating your enemies. It means more than you not only hurt, it it means more than you not only getting over the hurt. It means that you grow from that hurt. And it means more than you just growing from that hurt. It means that you share that hurt with other people who are experiencing that hurt in their life so as to add value to their life. That's what it means to be more than a conqueror. It means more than just defeating your enemies. It means turning your enemies into advocates. When I was with Eric from Rwanda, amazing the work of grace in his life. He's a tutu. And his people were slaughtered. 
And yet he is in his country turning his enemies. And Rwanda is a test case for what the purpose-driven model is going to do throughout all Africa. And I sense it and I believe it. But he has turned his enemies into advocates. Folks, that's what it means to be more than a conqueror. To be more than just getting over your hurt. It's growing from it and instilling others and having your enemies become your advocates. The third battle that lies deep within our souls is this. It is the battle between easy, what's easy, and what's right. Take a look at Galatians 5.17. What your corrupt nature wants is contrary to what your spiritual nature wants. They are opposed to each other. As a result, you don't always do what you intend to do. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Folks, you and I don't always do what we intend to do. Why? Because there's a battle going on. There is a battle between light and dark, between good and and bad, between uh, good intentions and bad intentions, between an old mindset and a new mindset. You and I don't always do what we intend to do. You see, your new mindset wants to be healthy. Anybody raise our hand there? Yeah. But our old mindset likes to eat fast food. Our new mindset wants to be organized. Our old mindset wants to be chaos. Our new mindset wants peace of mind. Our old mindset, I don't care. Our new mindset wants good relationships. Our old mindset wants it to be about me, myself, and I. You see, why is it that we have these good intentions, we've got this new mindset, and yet oftentimes we cave into the old mindset? Why is that? Well, I think it's because of fatigue. Folks, the Bible says two times, when God says something twice, you better take note. Fight the good fight of faith. To fight the good fight of faith is tiring. It is a 24-7 battle of war in the dark places of our mind. And it gets tiring. Let me put it like this. For those of us who have been parents, have you ever experienced where you, you were so tired that you didn't discipline your kids though you know they needed it? Has that ever happened to you? Hello? The same is true with you. You are in a fight. It is a 24-7 fight. And it gets tiring. And so you give in. You don't discipline yourself. So how do we get the energy? Well, physically, and we've talked about this. Body, right here, yeah, chemistry. is just getting some rest. It's amazing how your mental frame will work. Even with the mental struggles that we have, if we learn to to get proper rest with our bodies and our minds, it can, make, it can make a difference. But spiritually, it is this. It is thinking in long-term benefits. Truly, most of the problems that we have in our life is because of our inability to delay gratification. Anybody heard credit card debt? Hmm? What is that? What's credit card debt? It is the inability (laughs) 
to delay gratification. I gotta have it now. I want it my way and I want it now and I want it the way I want it. One of the questions that you and I need to ask ourselves is what do I need to do today to get to where I wanna be tomorrow? What do I need to do today in my schedule to get me to where I wanna be tomorrow? What do I need to do today in my diet to get me where I wanna be tomorrow? What do I wanna do today with my mental health in order to get to where I wanna be tomorrow? Delayed gratification. Take a look at Galatians 6, verse nine. Let us not get tired of doing what is right. For after a while, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and give up. When you are tired, that's when you need to fight the most for what is right rather than for what is easy. Will you write this down? The battle is often short-term versus long-term. The battle in your life is often short-term pleasure rather than long-term benefits. And God says, you must fight the good fight of faith. Now, I wanna ask you something. I thought of this when I was on the plane too. It's weird. Have you ever picked a fight before? I was sitting in the plane, I thought, I remember when I picked a fight with Mike. He was my best friend, but I didn't like what he did. And we stepped off the bus on a major highway. It would be like 380. And we duked it out right there, right in the middle of 380, right? Now, this is Sugar Creek, Missouri. Everybody knows everybody in Sugar Creek, Missouri. And about a half hour later, we, I get home and the police knock on my door. And the police officer says, uh, Mrs. Pfizer, can I, can I talk to your son, George? Of course, she wanted to know what in the world's going on. I didn't tell my mom when I got in a fight, you know. So I went out, sat in the car, and says, George, I know you got in a fight with Mike, and you did it in the middle of like, it was called 24 Highway, but three, kind of a 380 situation. It's okay to fight. Just do it on the side of the road. Don't do it in the middle of the road from now on, okay? Oh, yeah, yes, sir, yes, sir. Have you ever picked a fight before? Have you ever cared enough about something that you thought this is worth fighting for and you intentionally picked a fight? Let me say it another way. What matters in your life so much that you're willing to fight for it? Let me put it like this. What is so bad in your life that you're willing to fight to correct it. You see, if you can't think of anything, let me give you some. I'll fight for better health. I'll fight for better health, physically and mentally. I'm willing to take that on as a church. I'm, I'm willing to fight for better relationships. Better relationships with my spouse. I want a great marriage. I want to be a great forgiver. With my kids and my grandkids, I'm willing to fight for that. I'm willing to fight against adverse circumstances that bring people down. I'm willing to fight to have a conscience that's clear. I'm willing to fight to keep my walk close with God so that there's nothing between us. I'm willing to fight for not 
the okay choices, but for the best choices for my life, for my church, for my community. What are you willing to fight for? I say this, let's stop letting the world control us. Let's have a fight and let's take it on because I'm convinced of this. God says, I am an overcomer and we will get there. Now history has shown that the side that has the best weapons oftentimes wins. So it's very important that you and I understand the weapons that God has given us. And today I just want to give you three. There's a whole lot more than that, but I want to give you three. Take a look at this verse, 2 Corinthians 10, 3. Though we live in a world, we do not fight in the same way the world fights. We fight with weapons that are, not, that are different from those of the world uses. Our weapons have power from God. So what are those weapons? Let me give you three secret weapons. The first one is this. I get faith and hope from God's word. And remember, hope is when you and I stop listening to our feelings and we start listening to the word of God, praying over the promises of God as we fall on the character of God. I get faith and hope from God's word. Now, why is this so important? Because God's word has enormous power. It has power to move mountains. It has power to make the impossible possible. It has power to cause miracles. And so the more faith you have, the more fight you've got in you to fight the good fight of faith. Now understand something, that faith isn't just an offensive weapon. It is. It's an offensive weapon that, that can create dreams and, and, and can fulfill them. But faith isn't just an offensive weapon. It is a defensive weapon against doubt and despair and discouragement. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. In every battle, you will need faith as, you sh as your shield to stop the fiery arrows aimed at, at you by Satan. Will you circle the word shield? A shield is a defensive weapon against the fiery arrows of Satan. What are the fiery arrows of Satan? Doubt, despair, discouragement. The idea that I just want to quit. And unfortunately, some very high-profile people said, I'm quitting, I'm done. When you have a thought where you say, I'm quitting, I'm quitting life. I'm quitting, I'm quitting this relationship. I'm quitting my marriage. I'm quitting my church. I'm quitting my, my job. Understand that God has given you a shield to ward off the fiery arrows of Satan that just want you to quit. Now, where do you get this faith from? Well, God's pretty clear. In Romans 10, he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. The Bible describes the word of God as an offensive weapon, as a sword. Ephesians chapter six, verse 17, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The Bible describes the word of God as a sword. It has the commands of God. It has the truth of God. It has the teachings of God. It has the promises of God that give us hope. 
No soldier in ancient time would have ever dreamt of going into a battle without their sword. And yet today in modern times, we go into battle all the time without our swords. We go to work without our swords. How does the sword of God become a weapon? Well, it's as you read it. Even if you just read one verse a day, that one that I sent out at around noon, one verse, that's better than nothing. As you read God's word, as you memorize God's word, as you meditate on God's word, as you, as you most importantly, apply God's word to your life. It's a sword. The second secret weapon that God has given us is this. Get support from God's people. The reason that many battles are lost is because they don't have allies. They haven't shared their battle with others. And guess what? The same is true for us. God has never intended for you and I to go through life alone, just doing, doing our own thing, fighting our own battles, okay? No, he wants us to share them with others. And, though, and, that, and the others is the church. It's our spiritual family. You see, we are not an event-driven church where you just come in and set and go. When you become a member of LifePoint Church, we link arms. We're gonna do life together deeply. And you're gonna have some struggles and I'm gonna be your pastor. I'm gonna be your spiritual coach. I'm gonna try to help you the way God has helped me with different things to help you with whatever life is throwing at you at that time. And God says, we need one another. In fact, Paul said in Philippians 1.30, we are in this fight together. Truly, no soldier would go into a war by themselves. They at least have a squad of about, I don't know, five, six other people, and then maybe a company, and then a battalion. I mean, God wants us to have one another. I mean, think of Lone Ranger. He had Tonto, right? At least he had Tonto. Take a look at what this says here in Hebrews 10, 25. You should not stay away from the church. You should not stay away from the church meetings as some are doing. Instead, you should meet together and encourage each other. In the Bible, there are two kinds of meetings that are mentioned. Large group meetings and small group meetings. Large group celebration and small group fellowship and care. You and I need both of those. And yet notice it says don't, some people are staying away from church meetings. Maybe you felt like that at times. You know what? Life is so busy that I don't need to go to church every week. Do you realize that the average Christian, we're talking Christians. This is done by Gallup. The average Christian goes to church once every six weeks. You realize that? Christmas and Easter and six other times. That's the average Christian. About eight times a year, Christmas, Easter, and six other times. How would your life be physically in the way of eating if you only ate once every six weeks? You would not be too healthy, okay? Folks, no soldier goes into a battle on an empty stomach. My father-in-law had in his, his chest for us K-rations from World War II. No soldier goes into to battle on an empty stomach. No, you need to be eating and so when you come to a large group meeting like this, we call it worship or celebration. And what happens in worship 
is that your mind gets refocused. Your mind gets stimulated. You begin to get a bigger perspective that, of what's going on in your world. In essence, I like to say it cleanses your mind. What would your life be like if you only took a shower once every six weeks? Folks, I, I was able to shower, but my luggage was lost for three or four days. I felt scummy, even with the dirty clothes that I was wearing. Unbelievable. You see, some of us here have stinky faith. I would be making my mind up in advance. I am not going to miss large group celebration because I want my mind cleaned. I want to know that I'm an overcomer with the chemistry I have and with the connections I have and with the circumstances, my conscience, and the choices that I make. I mean, honestly, do you just watch TV once, once every six weeks? I don't think so. Guess what? You need your mind cleaned. Do you, do you just look at the internet just once every six weeks? I don't think so. Okay, you need your mind clean. I would make in advance the decision, I'm not missing large group celebration because it will affect my outlook on life. Now, you and I not only need large group celebration, but we also need small group. Take a look at Ecclesiastes 4. One standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer, and a group of three is even better. You need God, you need a group, and you need a guide. You need a group of people that you can share brain trust with. The third weapon is this, get power from God's spirit. Only Christians get this one. If you don't have Christ in your life, if you haven't dropped him from your head to your heart, then you don't have the power that God gives through his spirit. Take a look at 1 John Four, verse four, you belong to God, so God's spirit is in you, and he is more powerful than the spirit that is in the world. I'd memorize that verse if I were you. I like the New American Standard Version. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I've gone to Cameroon, and I've talked with a lot of Christians. This is George, I, I can never do that. It's just impossible. And I find that so many Christians are afraid. They, they act like chicken little. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. But wait a minute. Whose universe is this? It's God's. Who's in control of this universe? God is. Whose kid are you? God's kid. And yes, there are some battles and some skirmishes going on around you, but the outcome is sure, is it not? The Bible says he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Which means that you and I need to stop betting on politics to change our world. You and I need to stop betting on, uh, on business to change our world. we got to stop betting on any country to change our world. Because they're not powerful enough. God's strategy is different from the world's strategy. The world uses financial weapons. The, the, the world uses political weapons. The Euro world uses physical weapons. But God says that his weapons are not of this world. That they are strategically different. God's word, God's people, and God's spirit. 
And so why are we challenged when the world comes rushing in? Folks, we have someone greater on the inside of us. Take a look at Psalms 44, verse 3. They did not conquer by their own strength and skill. No, they conquered with God's word and God's people and God's spirit. But by your mighty power and because you smiled on them and favored them. Will you write this down? One plus God equals a majority. One plus God equals power untold. And the more we depend on the spirit of God that he has placed within us, the more power we will have. But Pastor George, how do I experience that power? Through prayer. More prayer, a lot of prayer, a lot of power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. You see, God has created you and I for his word. That's where hope comes from. And he's created us for one another. It's called church. It's called community. And he has given us his spirit. And it is those weapons, and more, but those weapons today that help us to stand up. To help us to say, where's my card at? To help us to stand up and say, I am an overcomer. Take a look at this verse out of, uh, out of uh, Ephesians 3.16. Use every piece of God's armor to resist the enemy, God's word, God's people, God's spirit, in the, time, in the time of evil, so that after the battle, you will still be standing firm. I want us to stand. But I want us to end the way we started. If you remember, I don't know, six, seven weeks ago, I said, you know what, if you feel comfortable enough to stand up and say, you know what, I have some mental challenges in my life. I, I may fight, uh, uh, I may be manic depressive. I, I, I may have anxiety issues. I, I may be depressed. I, I may have a child that has mental issues as long as physical is. So I said, why don't you stand up? I want to ask you this. Will you stand up? If you've got a mental, maybe it's physical. And raise your hand and say, I am an overcomer. Because I have God's word and I have God's uh, people and I have God's spirit. These are not simplistic answers, but they are simple answers to help us make progress. Because I want to pray for you. If you are that, will you just stand up? Stand up and identify yourself. And just say, there they are. And hold your hand up. I am an overcomer. Maybe your mental challenges are your connections. Maybe you were abandoned in life. Pastor Dennis was an orphan. I've gotten to know him. He and I are tight. But maybe yours are family origin issues, or maybe you went through a divorce, and your mental struggles are your relationships, your connections. Will you stand up? Because I'm going to pray for you and say, I am an overcomer. Maybe your mental challenges and struggles lie with your circumstances. Life has thrown you a curveball, and it's hit you, and it hurts. That's okay. Will you stand up and say, regardless, I am an overcomer. 
Or maybe it's your conscience. Maybe you did some things that you know that weren't right, but you've, you've, been, you've asked God's forgiveness, you've received them in your life and you're forgiven, but they still haunt you in your mind. Just stand up and say, I am an overcomer through the grace and mercy of God. Because you are. Or maybe you're at some fork in the road and you don't know which way to go. Maybe it's a job offer and you got two or three job offers. God, which one? God would want you to know that he's given you a spirit of wisdom and discernment that you can discern that which is best and not which and that which is okay. Stand up and say, I am an overcomer. I'm gonna pray for you. And I'm gonna pray for each one of these things and then we're all gonna stand and we are going to sing a song, Chain Breaker. And as we sing that song, I want us to end and realize that Jesus is our chain breaker and he's the one that helps us to overcome. So let me pray for each of these things. Lord, I just pray for the people that had the courage to stand up and say that I struggle mentally with anxiety, with depression, with bipolar, with kids that may be mentally challenged, physically challenged. I, I, God, I pray for the people that have physical challenges in their eyes as their body breaks down. God, help them to know that they are overcomers that through your grace you give them the desire and power to be and to do, that, you, that they are who you created them to be and they are precious in your sight. God, I pray for those who have been abandoned, who have family origin issues, who have struggled maybe with divorce and it's left scars on their life. God, may they know of your presence and may they know that they are overcomers through you. God, I pray for the people where life has hit them hard, maybe through the loss of a loved one, maybe the loss of a job, maybe the loss of friendships because they've moved away and things aren't the same like they used to be. God, may they know that the one who is in them is greater than the one who's in the world, that they are overcomers. God, I pray for those whose conscience is just cluttered with past mistakes. Though they have received you, though they know of your grace, they just can't seem to get over it. May they understand your love. May they understand your unconditional forgiveness towards them. That you're a God that will never point a finger at them, but rather you will fan whatever is inside of them into a flame. May they know that you are an overcomer. And God, I pray for those that are just at that fork in the road. May they not settle for second best. May they realize that you have the very best for them and that you've given them what's necessary to achieve it. God, I pray for that. May they know that they are overcomers. God, help our church. Help our church to live and walk in accordance with your spirit, God to be the overcomers that you have called us to be because Jesus is the chain breaker. 
He is the one that has set us free from slavery. He is the one that has set us free from ourselves, from the deep, dark crevices that are in our mind. God, you, Jesus, has set us free. And I thank you for that, God. Lead us and guide us, God. As we just put the period on this series. In your son's name we pray. Amen.